Hello everybody, good to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks. So before I get into this very special video, I want to invite you to, to look at, take a look at my other YouTube channel, which you can go to YouTube and search Fred Davis Satsang, and you'll find a whole nother set of videos. And uh, you might find them quite helpful, who knows? It'd be worth a look. So today I'm gonna bring you a story. I'm gonna bring you the story of Fred Davis from seeker to teacher. And I'm gonna do it through books. And when I'm gonna bring you the 20 for 21 most important books that I've ever read. Now, in order to bring you, I've read hundreds of books at least, and uh, um, God only knows how many. And so in order to bring that down to a 21, it means that, means that I've got to leave out scores, perhaps hundreds of good books. And um, yeah, I would say hundreds, but not all of them were great. They were good and they were, and, and, and some of them were important but they weren't as important as these. The other thing that I want you to remember is that this is a story. It begins a long time ago. So it doesn't mean that this set of books is a set of books that you need to rush out and buy. It's the set of books that I found myself buying at that time, right? Because there, there's no book up here that I would back away from and say, boy, you shouldn't read this one because they're all terrific. But it's again, it, I'm, I don't mean to negate many of the modern teachers and everything like that, but I didn't have that much to do with that many leave, living teachers, frankly. I kind of I had something to do with two or three and I ran through those fairly quickly. The next thing I knew I was listening to this, which is what I still do. This is still my teacher, what comes through here. I can hear it better than anything else. It's more direct than anything else I can listen to. And I just completely get it. So, which would make sense. But when I'm talking in satsang or in session or anything else, I don't know what's gonna come out of my mouth. I mean, even here, I don't have any idea what's gonna come out next. I will hear it at the same time you do. So I can be this, use this as the teaching without being uh, egoic, right? And that's what I'm doing. So with uh, all that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. So the first book that started it all, and I was 20 years old, I didn't have a clue about nothing. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like some of the young people that I work with. I mean, I was just, I was just a roaring idiot. I had been um, been in trouble most of my life, and or either I was either in trouble or fixing to get into trouble, or maybe getting out of trouble. <laughs> but everything centered around trouble. And then there was a a little bit of a peaceful era as I settled into my first marriage, and to a saint, that Saint Tricia, and um, with my having married her, there were a couple of years where of relative calm. And during that period, we started um, wandering around our neighborhood and discovered that there was a branch library. And in that branch library, one day, completely out of the blue, I just picked this book up off the shelf, not actually this book, but it was this author, Thoreau, and the book is Walden. And that Walden, it, it's, there's a lot of non-duality in Walden. I wouldn't have called it that at the time I, when they were talking, when he was talking about Hindu influences and stuff like that. I didn't even know what the heck he was talking about. I didn't know what he's talking about through a lot of that, but it moved me. It moved me in a powerful and permanent way. The guy that started this book was not the same guy that finished that book. That's about the best thing I can tell you. That's about the most accurate. So, but after Thoreau, there was a long hiatus. And I began 
uh, I was back out in trouble, back out on the road, hoboing around the country. And I call it just going on the road because like I was a hippie or something. And some of that time I was, but some of that time I was just a, a drunk with, you know, with a purpose of getting more drunk, of partying all across the nation. That was my main job. And so I wasn't drawn to anything. This book never left me. It remained in the back of my head always. But I began to run through into some other books. I ran into, which I'm not going to mention. I mean, I'm not going to show them here. But I ran through a bio of Ramana Maharshi before I knew anything at all about non-duality or Ramana or, um, or enlightenment or anything else. I, just, I didn't know anything about all that. But I ran into a biography of Ramana Maharshi, and it just set me on fire. And it was really not quite a biography. It was a story of a guy who was living in Tiruvannamali at the time, which I, it just sounded like, you know, something like Middle Earth to me. I mean, it was just sounded so great. And, uh, and he painted an incredible picture, and, I, and that really drew me. And then um, there was also, I ran across a, a, a real bi uh, biography, Ramakrishna and his disciples about Ramakrishna, and that set me on fire too. It was both of them, it lit, those were the books, those two books actually lit the seeker up. I didn't know it at the time, but that is what had happened. Well, Thoreau had lit the seeker up, but the seeking came slow and heavy, and I uh, went through those books, and I also then I went through, um, oh, uh, what other books did I run through? Oh, I got, the, the movie Gandhi moved me a tremendous amount. I mean, that just, that floored me. Now, what the moment that movie came out, I was in. I mean, I saw that movie, and I've seen it since. And it's a fantastic movie, and it's a fan, about a fantastic man. And then I began to get it. I began to get the idea that I was wanting to be a Gandhi-like figure while I was, you know, drinking and screwing around. <laughs> but I had, but I thought it'd be nice to be a Gandhi-like figure. And I, it might, you know, I'd probably use that some way to improve Fred's lot in life and probably get some girls. Uh, Sid Artha by Herman Hesse, that novel, that was also very, uh, very important to me. But none of these things really pushed me uh, until in 1982, when it, I was just coming off of the road again. And I got a job at a place that I had once worked for, and I became the general manager of a couple of bookstores, there were three bookstores here in Columbia, bookstore newsstands. And I really jumped into Buddhism. Um, I remember uh, the, the uh, something about the three practices of Zen or, or, or of Buddhism or whatever. I can't remember, but these original books. And I got launched into Buddhism and I went first to the Tibetans and whom I still deeply love and deeply respect, but um, it, I was not ready for it because they wouldn't let me be Dalai Lama, and I had seen the Gandhi movie. <laughs> I felt like I should be the Dalai Lama. And, um, but I, I, and there were several books by Chogam Trungpa, and I actually was, at another time, I was uh, visited Naropa Institute and, and all that in Colorado. So all of that was instrumental. But then, in... 1991, this is a big jump through the years, because in 1991, it's a pretty good amount of money now. So it was a way lot of money at that time. And um, so I'm, uh, and I'm, and I became just very impressed with myself. And one day I figured out a guy could do all this, could surely take a drink. And that's what I did. And I, over the next year, I blew it all away. 
I just destroyed it. Destroyed my, I, I ended up leaving my, selling my businesses, moving to Oregon. Uh, and when I got to Oregon, I thought I would open up another bookstore. And when I got there, I found out that I didn't have any money to do that. And that I was just being an idiot and that uh, I had confused timing with genius. So I had, I had nothing left. I mean, I lost all my money. I'd lost all my coolness. I'd lost all my specialness. Um, and now I was a guy looking at regular old jobs and catching the bus, right? Or, or driving a used, old used car. And realizing that I was, I had lost in that regard, then the seeking took over because I realized, well, the only place I can win is the spiritual, uh, from the spiritual angle, because I don't have to have any money for that. And I very much wanted to win. I wanted to be a success still. And so I, I recognize all of the flaws in this motivation, but it was what it was. And uh, I found myself jumping very, very deeply back into uh, Buddhism. But this time I did what I wanted to do the first time. There just weren't any Zen people in Columbia at that time that I knew of. And there was a Tibetan center, so that's the reason I went there. But when I got to Portland, probably the first book I read on Zen, go through a few, few little Zen books here, was The Empty Mirror. And I bet I read this book 15 times, maybe 20. I read it a bunch. And it moved me every time I read it. And the, I, I, there was something there. I didn't know exactly what it was, but there was something there. There's another book after that that is not one of these, um, which is uh, a glimpse of not a, a glimpse of nothing or a glimpse of nothingness something like that that um the same guy wrote but this one the empty mirror that's the one that really did me in and then the other one really was was very was very instrumental as well but i'm kind of trying to to do books that are representatives of groups of books that i read and these are the one this is the, there will be a standout but there will be also near standouts all around these. So this one really got me just in love with the concept of Zen. And I read a bunch of stuff. And um, the other thing, that, the other book that really moved me in the Zen line at that was that read very shortly thereafter. You could say about the only Zen book you could find in every bookstore in America. And that was this, which is Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And boy, this whole idea of beginner's mind, I teach this now, right? I mean, that's where I go. And it's not, I don't teach this book. I don't teach precisely what Suzuki Roshi was teaching, but I am, I'm just doing it in a, in a little different way. And, and, and maybe in a little bit more direct way, who knows? So I got into those. There were some other books that were surrounding them that really moved me a lot. And I wanted to be, I wanted to, I got the idea, I recognized that there was enlightenment and that I didn't have it, which was a big humility for a <laughs> world player like me. Um, and I didn't realize that I was not enlightened and that I needed to be. I'd never heard of enlightenment before, but the moment that I heard it, I knew I needed to be enlightened. And I have heard the, that, that the moment you hear the word enlightenment, then you're, it's, it's over for you. I mean, as soon as you, any, any inquisitiveness on your part will get you involved in this path and God only knows if you will ever come out again. So I hope I don't because I don't want to graduate. This chair that you're looking at, this is not a teacher's chair. This is the student's chair. I have not graduated from non-duality. I am not... I should make it very, very plain, in fact, that I am just a guy. Now, when I say that, I'm speaking on a relative level. The Fred unit is just, it's just a guy. And it's not a special guy. It wasn't born in a graveyard under a cabbage leaf at midnight or anything like that. It's just a guy. Just like you are a guy or a girl or a woman, then I was just a guy, an ordinary guy. Not even an ordinary guy, but a failure, an abject failure in life and this turning 
began to light something up that I never imagined, which was, I mean, I had been seeking really for 20 years, but I just kept having my foot, my toe in the water, kept putting it in the water, kept putting it in the water, maybe more than my toe, maybe my foot, but I couldn't stay with it. And then I read this, The Three Pillars of Zen. This is by Philip Kaplan Rushi and uh, Rochester Zen Center. It's an amazing book. It really is a very, very powerful book. Um, and it was that book, if I had to point to one book, I would probably point to that book to say that that was the most instrumental book in my first awakening in 1992. Because it was 1991 when I moved back to Portland, Oregon. And in the autumn or late summer, early autumn of, yeah, early autumn of, of 1991, I started back into this, all this whole Zen thing. So I read some other Zen books. I had, I had seen Suzuki Roshi in bookstores for years and it just looked so dull, right? It just looked so thick. Like, I mean, it just, it just didn't look like anything that was for me. And I just, so I just kind of, you know, didn't pay much attention to him. But then for some reason I did, and I wrote, and I read this introduction to Zen Buddhism. And I went, oh my God, no wonder D2C Suzuki is so well known. And he's a genius and, 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 and he's an enlightened genius. It was clear to me. He had something I didn't have and I wanted it. But I thought it was D.T. Suzuki that was enlightened. I did not realize the truth of things, but that's okay. It's fine to attribute it to him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't accept it, but I think he'd understand. So I then went on with Suzuki Roshi and the Manual of Zen and oh, a zillion other more Zen books. I do not have any books of scripture here. I've read my, my, my share of scripture, but I decided I didn't want to do it because I want to really, um, maybe someday I'll present the, the top scriptural books that moved me or something. But this is, I want to do it about just, this is, these are books by folks, by people, by ordinary people, right? And who happen to have this amazing experience happen to them. So I moved through Zen and, and, and the, and I also touched on, and this is just representative, but this is the standout book of uh, the, the Way of Chung Zhu. It's as edited by Thomas Merton, who was uh, a monk, a Christian monk, and an amazing character, an awakened character. So you don't have to be Eastern to wake up. That's one of the things that the Living Method pushes, and I probably, it, it, and, and I got that from, from that book too. So the Tao, this, this book, The Way of Chung Tzu is, is the Taoist way. And I became fascinated by the Taoist way and I read, read some Taoist books and I was deeply moved again. I, I couldn't really tell, a, there was, they were, Tao and Zen were like water and pitcher and I don't know which was which, right? But they were, just, they ran together. So then um, sometime later, I, uh, after I got sober, because that's what happened. This was the end of Zen for me at, at the, and, and until I read all this kind of stuff and was devoted to this stuff during the nineties. And then in to the year 2000, I found that I had to get sober. And in order to do that, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, Sorry, I broke my threats, anonymity there, but hell, it's been done before. So, and I decided, and I looked, and I, there, I didn't make, their 12 steps didn't, oh, I really should have a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous here. I'm ashamed, but I don't even know if there's a copy in the house, but the big book, so make this the 22 books, because the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous should be in here, because it really changed my life, perhaps more than anything since Walden. And it changed it completely because even when I was reading Walden when I was 20, I was in 
very early alcoholism. I didn't know it, but I was. And um, so I didn't, when I came into AA in, in the year 2000, I didn't in the, the, the was, I came in on March the 1st, 2000. And, oh, excuse me, January, February, March the, I forgot, 30th, March the 30th of 2000. And um, what I was afraid of was that I knew so much about spirituality and religion that God only knows how this bit of wisdom came through. But I had the sense that, you know, you know so much about all this stuff about spirituality that you're liable to go in here and, uh, and, and, and see that what they're doing is stupid and then go get drunk and die a drunk. So I pulled away from Zen. I pulled away from any kind of spirituality other than what was in AI. And I devoted my entire life to that for a year. And I devoted a lot of life to that for, for, for another 10. But uh, particularly that first year, I just did everything by the book, as the book, to the best of my ability. And I mean, I, you know, I ended up going to jail for stuff that happened that I, uh, for amends that I made in the year 2000. It wouldn't happen for a number of years but didn't happen in 2000, but I just want you to know, I didn't cut any corners. Anybody that's looking, wondering about the ninth step, I can tell you that I went to jail for it uh, and um, I wouldn't take it back because what I knew was that I had to get sober and I couldn't cut any corners. I'd cut corners all my life because I was the special one. You were the slow one, I was the special one. And I didn't want to special my way into an early death. So, I stayed away from that and then I was online and in uh, 2001 and I bumped into a guy who is, and I've just forgotten his name. Oh my God, this is wrong. M M Michael, Michael, oh God. It'll come to me and I'll, I'll tell you later. Anyway, his name was Michael. He's a spiritual teacher in Los Angeles. Uh, we have actually have a client in common. And um, so, and he told me you should read Eckhart Tolle. And so I did. Well, they didn't have a copy of it in Columbia, South Carolina at that moment. But Betsy and I took a trip, our first trip together in 2001 was we went to the mountains. And in the Asheville bookstore up there, um, we, I found a copy of The Power of Now. And it really didn't change me that much. I mean, I liked it, it was a good book, but I got through it and I went, wow, that's good, what's next? And what had to happen was that I had to endure some more suffering. After having read that book, I just went on with my merry way about what's next. I don't know what I read then, but it was nothing like, it was nothing of approaching that consequence. And uh, so I went straight back into misery, or not that I completely got out. I was just, went, I was in misery, continued to be in misery. And with that, with that misery, um, there became a willingness to try something. And I thought about all, having read this book, all I did was read it. I didn't do the exercises in it because I knew the exercises was for you guys. The exercises were for you guys. It was for the slow ones, see? But I was like a, a very high ranking seeker. That's the way I saw it. I mean, I'm right up there with that card himself. You know, he's got a little something I don't got, but the arrogance is just astonishing and nauseating. But. That's the way it was. What can I say? I can't say it shouldn't have been that way because that's the way it was. I went back and this time I reread The Power of Now and I did the exercises and my life was turned upside down. I couldn't believe it. It was so, it was just, it opened my eyes in a way that I didn't even know they could be opened because I didn't even know that this was available. That's Willie. He would like to tell you how excited he is to be a part of this. And uh, he's certainly pleased. Willie, Jack, 
Come on, boys. Come on. So, there. And just so you know, that's not the part of this video that shouldn't have happened. See, this video is just what is, and what is includes barking dogs. Because the dogs are thinking, why in the hell is he cutting a video while we're in here trying to bark? <laughs> it's all a point of view, isn't it? So, along with the power of now, and I mean, I, I, as, as is well known by many, I spent uh, several years focusing on Eckhart's teaching. I couldn't get to him. I didn't have any money. And, and I wanted to meet him, but I couldn't and all that. So I just went, but I got into his work very deeply. I had a hundred and something hours of him on tape, which was hard to find then, easy to find now. And uh, listened to those tapes, uh, you know, pretty much every moment of my waking life. I had them on upstairs in my house. This is after I had, had, had been arrested and my suffering was at a whole new level now when I really went the, the whole way. It was changed by that book and everything, but the arrest is what really changed because <laughs> that brought in a whole new level of misery. And um, so, because I had been, uh, I was arrested the day after I picked up my four-year chip in AA. And um, that the night before, I had just gone, man, this AA thing really does work. I can't believe it. Because I had Betsy then. I said, man, I got a wonderful woman again. And I had started my little business as a bookseller. I had called it Henry Dickinson Company. And, um, and that was, looked like it was gonna, gonna take off. And I was uh, getting my business got together, got my woman together, got a nice you know, my, little apartment and a cat and everything is good. And then, you know, boom, they took me to jail. <laughs> God almighty. So that brought about a lot of misery for the next couple of years. And during that time, I got into Eckhart and I also got into the work of Byron Katie. Now, I loved Katie, and I think I kind of lusted after her for a little while there, but um, I loved Byron Katie, and I still do, but I didn't really get into her. I got into her work, right? I didn't sit back and watch Katie for hours and hours or listen to her for hours and hours or whatever. I read um, several books, and I, I read books as some of them as they came out, and I, but I did her work. I got into her work because... I, I began to, and that was the beginning of discover, my discovery of inquiry, was Byron Katie was the lead into that. Now I do quite a different kind of inquiry, but it was nonetheless that whole idea of questioning your thoughts, I, I owe that to Katie. And um, I have, a, a, and, and I have a lot of her clients that have become my clients. And so we have a place where we can meet that's, so to speak, uh, that's very comfortable. So any rate, um, because what I found out was for me, it's just my experience, is that loving what is was really more important to me later. It was more important to me. Actually, no, I wasn't loving what is. It wasn't the book. I'd already read the book. I just turned to the work online and got the worksheets and started doing the work. That was in post-awakening. I didn't much, do much inquiry prior to that. I did a little because she fascinated me, but it was not, a little bit like Eckhart's book. Well, it was okay for them. Maybe not for a big shot like me. But somewhere in here, awakening really began to start. And it already happened in 1992, but then I just forgot oh, the worst oscillation imaginable. I lost that awakening. I couldn't believe it. I had it. I lost it. And, and, and Fred couldn't get it back. And I understand all that now, but didn't understand all that then. And I didn't have a teacher to explain that to me. And there really weren't many, if any, books about this exclusively. I mean, they could find them in like the, you know, maybe hidden in the Tibetan traditions, there'd be stuff like that, but it was never straight out. I mean, that's one thing. It, it just wasn't that I found. I'm not saying it wasn't, that it isn't there, but I just didn't find it. What I found is I found a wonderful path of truth and light with Zen and Taoism and then went, found, discovered these guys but still had never heard the term non-duality. But 
what happened was awakening began to really take place. And I would say that a book that was instrumental during the time of, that, of, of awakening was this one, Consciousness is All, uh, by Peter Zubin, who's a, I haven't seen him or talked to him in a long time, but he's a friend of mine. And uh, so when I read Peter's book and it just was so direct, that's what I had not been able to find. It was so direct. It was so direct that it just couldn't be ignored. And hopefully that's kind of like what my teaching is now. And I'm sure his is still good. Peter's a great guy. Um, so awakening began and it, I was getting, you know, the, 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 the sense of awakening and all this, I was getting glimpses. That's what was happening. I was getting serious glimpses regularly. And then I read this. Point is from Nizagadatta. When you hear me saying that, point is from Nizagadatta Maharaj, who was the greatest teacher ever, as far as I can tell. And um, when I, you hear me talking about that I was reading the book when I woke up, this is that book. Pointers from Nizagadatta Maharaj. It is clear and it is direct. It is not as, it's a, it's a crafty, sneaky direct, but it's direct enough, I guarantee you that. And, it, and this set me up for reading Nizagadatta later, but I had not, I don't think, I, I may have tried to read a little Nizagadatta before, but I couldn't get it into it. This it was really open to the door to me for, for that teaching, and quite frankly, it also opened the door to this one. So, although it wouldn't happen for years. In those days where awakening now had taken place, and I'm in post-awakening, then I began to seek out some other things. And one of the things that I did is this Living Reality by James Braha, who is also a friend of mine. And um, so James wrote this remarkable book, Living Reality. And what it is, it's about, James is a, is a strange guy. He's a, he's a world-renowned English, I mean, a, a master of Hindu, uh, astrology, no, but Hindu, uh, Eastern, uh, Indian astrology. I don't know if it's Hindu or not, but uh, you know, it's kind of got to be, got to have a lot of relationship there. Anyway, he invited Sailor Bob Adamson to come to and visit, uh, spend a summer with him, and he did, and this book is what it's about. And he invited Sailor Bob to his house so that Sailor Bob could wake him up because James just was not a flyer, right? And so he, Sailor Bob took him up on it. James paid for it. James put him up in uh, a cottage in his backyard. And um, like, kind of like I have in my backyard now. And um, Sailor Bob woke him up while he was there. I woke his friend up too. I've talked to his friend as well. I don't remember, I don't remember James's friend, but there was a, I have emails with him and he's very pleasant. But it was James that really affected me because this was so profound, because it was so damn simple. It was, which I'd already seen, but you have to, it, it, awakening is all about right now. So the fact that I've seen something doesn't mean that I got it for all time and there's, there's nothing here to get it for all time. There is getting it, but there's no got it because there's no Fred to get it and have it and own it and, and all of that, which is, was very disappointing for a Fred, but that's the way of it. So, and I, I actually, and I talked with James and the, he was just a huge help by himself just because he wrote that book and we, and, and he, and, and he treated me very nicely and he knew that I was an awakened being and he treated me accordingly. And that was huge because it was like confirmation. He didn't say, you know, here's my enlightenment wand. You're really enlightened or anything like that. But he, he, the way that he treated me was fantastic. 
So I got drawn back to some other things then, and I began to reach the teachings of Ramana Maharshi. Um, this book by David Godman is just, this is chock full of fabulous. <laughs> and it really is a wonderful, wonderful book. And um, that moved me as well. Now I'm talking about, it's, it's, I'm in post-awakening. So what's happening now is that there has been the event of awakening, which came about on the day that I was reading that Pornish with Nezirgadatta. And I don't want to talk about the awakening too much, but the but it did happen. It was kind of a fairy book, kind of like in 1992. That one was kind of fairy tale too. But because in both cases, I was about a million miles from awakening. So anything that getting that clear was explosive to my little mind, which was just dull as a, as a brick. Even though I had been around this stuff for years and years and years, I had been so much a self-aggrandizement, the attempt at that, that I really missed a lot of it. So Ramana Maharshi um, began to really move into me and then I read this. I am that. This book has probably, well, I mean, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say too much. Non-duality is a pretty small crowd. But where our numbers are large, but our percentages of the population are quite small. But thousands and thousands of people have come closer to the truth or found the truth and seen the truth by reading this book. Can't recommend it too highly. But it's only for those who are ready for it because I had it um, and I, 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 I did. That's right. After I, after I woke up from uh, right after Pointers from Nizgadatta, I then tried to pick up this book and I wasn't ready for it yet. And I couldn't get it really. I just could, I wasn't following it. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. It sounded real old and real crotchety. <laughs> so, which was not completely off the mark. But he was also just a beautiful, gentle, wonderful soul. Mm. So I am that, now I'm really waking up. But the problem is I've had the awakening event, which is the awakening event is really coming to see that there's nothing but this, there's just this. And there's no, there's no personality. There's no actual, there's no separate entity of a Fred Davis. It's just come to be seen. It's just a matter of fact. It's not, it's not questioned or anything else. You just see it and go, oh, of course, because it's the most obvious thing in the world when it is. But a lot of these obvious things are obvious only in hindsight. And that's the way it was with me. I didn't see much going forward. I saw a lot in the rearview mirror. Uh, but awakening occurred and I was coming along really, really nicely. And then I discovered the clearing, the path of clearing, right? So when I say I was coming along really, really nicely, that's just something that just now escaped my mouth, but it's not true. It was ugly. <laughs> when I woke up, after I woke up, it was an ugly time because it, my life was in just total chaos. I was in huge fear and pain and, um, and I, and I was also and I also was just you know I had I had a big spiritual awakening, but uh, I just I had come to see that there was no Fred. I had come to see that there was just this. What I hadn't come to see was that it was just this as it is. See, because I I I first came to see that there's just this, but you know me having been lived as a, as a homeless guy in the park or me having been uh, an alcoholic and lost or me having lost all my money, all those things, they shouldn't have happened. It's only this, but that, and there's no Fred, but those things shouldn't have happened to Fred because there still was a lot of identification as a Fred. This is in post-awakening and the truth is known. 
but it's only known intermittently because that's just the way it works. That's why we call it a sense of oscillation. There's a sense of oscillation. There's no oscillation. Where would oneness go when it oscillated? But at any rate, there's a sense of it. So I was stumbling along and then came the, another life changer, just a life saver, I would say. And that's this book by Ajashanti, The End of Your World. This book, blew my mind and then it helped me put it all back together if uh, if if i had a list of well i am doing a list of the most important books i have a read but this would probably have to be in the top five have to be because it just helped me so much because it helped me see that what i was going through was just that's what happens in post-awakening it wasn't just happening to me, it was happening to everybody that went through post-awakening, or nearly everybody. And aspects of it were happening to everybody. Nobody just woke up and started spouting quotable quotes, right? Um, but Eckhart Tolle, we, we like to think about his instantaneous awakening, but we don't like to think about the two or three years that he went spent living in the park, coming to find out there's a, not only just this, but there's just this as it is right now. The enlightenment, enlightenment's about right now. Having had a big, big spiritual experience doesn't mean that I'm awake because there's no one here to be awake. There's just awake, awakeness. And it doesn't mean that I will know that I am awakeness. I may think I'm a Fred. Um, it, 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 that was the way it was, was. And Fred just knew that the same thing that everybody I've ever worked with knows. This is just comes with post-awakening, <coughs> which is the idea that I should be clearer than this. What a terrible idea, this idea that I should be clearer than this, because there's no evidence for it. But we all get it. We all have it. So this helped me recognize that I was actually just another guy. In AA, they had been very, very careful to point out that not, I wasn't the special drunk, that I was, in, in their language, a garden, a regular old garden variety drunk, not special, just another drunk, just another drunk that needed to recover, and just another drunk who, if he did what they said, said stood a good, wonderful chance of recovering. And I did just what they said, as they told me, and I did recover. But I had come to see that there was a path there, and I took that path and I followed it. But then I found out there was no path to awakening. That just occurred out of the blue. If these books look like a path, they're not. They're historical markers. And actually, I can't even experience time because there isn't any, but we're talking as if there is because I, this, this talk is being done within relativityness. There's no relativity, but there's relativityness. And because uh, you are a verb and not a noun. Aja helped me begin to really, that help, that book helped me begin to really clear up. I had been out there on my own awakened being for three, three and a half years. I don't know that, a little over three. And then I read this book. It changed my life. And the next thing I, I knew, um, I read this book also. Uh, this is the only one in that series that I, I own the others, but this the, um, most of the others, I don't know where they stopped. I, I got the first four. Uh, I've only read the first one because I could not read the second one. It was unreadable to me. It was just like it was a whole nother writer. And I'm not so sure that it wasn't uh, because I'm absolutely convinced that there's no, no Jed McKenna out there, right? On a, on a little farm. The, uh, for me, I always believed it was Ajashanti and I sort of still do, but I don't know that. But in that book, what I discovered was I began to discover here, this was helping me with, with my seeking. 
I mean, this was helping with clearing. And this book also helped with clearing because it helped, because by this time, I had had some fool come up and ask me to be her spiritual teacher, right? And I, uh, <clears throat> and I had another piece of per person or two that I was working with unofficially. We started through AA, we got, we, we dropped doing that together and he just became my, my friend, if, if you will. And so I had two or three people locally that I would talk to. And uh, this was, this book was read in uh, 2009 and one year later, uh, I was teaching. Because what happened was I, when I gave up on teaching is when I became a teacher. I had wanted to be a teacher for years. That was my thing. That was my dream. That's what I wanted to do. And only when I went to see Ajashanti and uh, at a retreat and I watched him and I talked to him and I went, you know what? I don't think that's for me. I don't, I don't, how the hell does he even do that? I mean, he was just sitting up there on the stage spouting or answering everything. I mean, you can ask him any question. He just poof, poof, you know, you touch his, you touch his stomach and words would come out and they would be wise words and all that. I knew I couldn't do that. So I retired even the idea of being a spiritual teacher. And about just a very few weeks later, I think within 30 days, uh, first one of these friends that came around woke up. And I realized, wow, look at this. Not only am I awake, but I'm, this must be for real because I just woke up somebody else and he wasn't, he'd never heard the word non-duality and he just woke up. So I was very impressed with myself, if you will, although I had nothing to do with it, but I didn't know that at the time. It felt like I really thought that you can't help it. It just comes with the territory. Ego is right in there and it's just grabbing all the credit that it can. Uh, but this helped me because this guy was, his life was my life as the little teaching that I had going. The, he had, his difficulties in dealing or, or his strategies, his wonderful dealing with people uh, was pretty much what I was facing, the very same thing I was. And he had solutions and um, he had, but just the fact that he was there with me it was confirmation. I went, my God, this guy's got it. How do I know that this is that this book represents the truth? Because it's like my biography. Only, only within the teaching realm. It's my like my my biography from 2010 forward. So, more of a memoir than a biography. So, when I actually did talk to Ajashanti. A couple of times on the phone, I have some people that will hear it on his tapes once in a while and they'll write me and it's pretty funny. Uh, but he treated me like the same way James Braha had as an awakened being. And that was, um, that was the best gift he could have ever given me because it was, again, it was, I mean, he knew immediately I, when I call him, I ask him a question and on the on the phone with the radio with his radio show and he knew from the question that there was an awake being on the other end of the line i didn't know all that at that time but i can see it now if somebody asked me that question i would probably understand the same thing handle it the same way he did or very similar maybe not as skillfully um but i got in this idea that i needed a teacher and acha was the first human being that i that i began to touch base with not as a as a so-called so spiritual teacher, which I mean, I wasn't, but I was teaching, but it was, but I was teaching from where I was and I was teaching from oscillation, but I made no bones. I don't know why this, where this humility came from, but I made no bones about the fact that I was teaching from oscillation, that sometimes I had it and sometimes I didn't, right? And that I was writing from this place of oscillation where, the truth was, was self-evident, and then you couldn't find it with a giant flashlight and a shovel. So, but I got on the idea of a teacher, and then I bought this book, 
Reflections of the One Life by Scott Killaby. This is still a terrific book. I just read one of the one of the days in, in this book as I got, got it to, to put up here with these books. And it was just great. I mean, this is, this is like, the, this is really a clear book. And um, I started working with Scott and Killaby and one-on-one uh, -on -one, and that changed everything. Really, it was Ajashanti was the first one-on-one, -on -one, but Scott was the first one-on-one -on -one where he was really my teacher and I was paying him to be so, right? And uh, so he knew he was my teacher. Aja was my teacher, but he didn't really know who I was, but Scott did. And Scott also did the very same thing that the others have did. He treated me wonderfully because I've talked to him since and he, and he, he would laugh and he would say, you were always so clear. But I was awake, I'd have been awake for three, three and a half years before I ever got a hold of Scott, but there was that oscillation. And so I had a, the first meeting I ever had with Scott and we did some inquiry. And when I did that first meeting with Scott, I moved out of oscillation into stability and I've never lost it since. And that was the spring of, that was the spring of 2010. And I think I've said at this point that I did start teaching in 2010. But in the spring, I had not woken up anybody. But by the fall of 2010, that's when I had, I'd woken up those first two people. And then actually some other people just by serendipity found me and they woke up too. We would go to lunch or something and I'd do my little thing. And they would wake up and I was astonished because I couldn't believe that it was real. I couldn't believe it was real, really. I just couldn't believe it. But I wanted to believe it very desperately, but I just couldn't imagine that actually the truth was coming out of this thing. So well that somebody else could hear it. But it was. And so Scott was a huge help. I worked with him some one-on-one. -on -one. And then Scott kind of moved, was moving into the recovery end of things, and I was moving out of the recovery end of things. Uh, I did write, after I worked with Scott, I did write uh, a book that I had wanted to write for 10 years, which was uh, non-duality, which was the Beyond Recovery, Non-Duality and the 12 Steps, which was my first book. And which is a good book. And whether you have any, whether you have anything to do with recovery or not, everybody's addicted to the sense of separation. And I never read anybody say they were, I talked to anybody that said they were sorry they read that book, whether they had ever had any recognized addiction or not. But I wrote that because I was on probation in the, in the summer until when I was working with Scott and, and I was on probation. And um, we, he knew all about that. It was actually part of that story was that I, that I couldn't let go of and that he so skillfully helped me, helped release me from, which is just beautiful. To move on, I began, in 2011, I began the blog Awakening Clarity. And it was just called Awakening Clarity at that time. And it was just a little blogger thing, but I just built it in. But it was a little blogger website, but it's getting 20,000 views, 30,000 views a month, which was pretty good. And uh, so I began to, to get a little bit known in the non-dual community, although I was not pretending to be a teacher, but I was teaching in the blog. I wasn't saying I'm, but I, but I was hoping that everybody would figure out that I don't think they did. <laughs> So, and I started that blog right after I got off probation because I wouldn't go and wasn't going to start it while I was on. Well, that's what I say now, but actually I didn't know that I was going to start a blog. So I didn't know that I was not starting a blog until I got off of probation. Just when I got off probation, I noticed that I started the blog immediately because I didn't have to report my, my activities to anybody anymore. So in this 
post-awakening period where I'm actually going now and, and, and becoming a teacher. These two books, we're going to see the return of I am that. It comes back into my life a third time. And, but, it, but really, it had not, not left, but it certainly never left me since then. I mean, never left. I've always had one close by. And the same thing with this. I've never actually sat down and read this book cover to cover, but I have read large parts of it a bit at a time, and it is astonishing. And I remember what the, the front of it says, talks is the living voice of the greatest sage of the 20th century. And I understand why he says that. And as far as most famous, I would, he's right. Um, greatest sage for me is Mizugadatta Maharaj. I mean, he's the man. And funny how much my teaching is along the lines of Mizugadatta Maharaj's. And we're even a little bit alike in the sense that I, I try not to do it, but I can be sharp in meetings. I can be sharp in satsangs, not because, but, it, but that is compassionate sharp. It's love. What I'm out to do is to help re eliminate or reduce suffering. I'm out to help reduce suffering. And if your ego's in the way of that, I'll just slap it down, right? That's just what I do. He did the same. But I don't throw people out. He did. <laughs> he had a, but he had an abundance of people. He didn't have any trouble throwing people out. Also, he wasn't making a living off of it. And that, that probably plays into it too. But I've been, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. And I quit because I was catching some flack. It's when I was beginning to let the cat out of the bag about the living method. And I began to share with people publicly that I was waking up people in a single session. And that was just, just, that just hit the fan because everybody knew nobody could do that. And everybody knew that I had a, something I call the living method. And we had been taught that no method works. What in the hell do you think it might have is? <laughs> it's a method. So is Zen. So is Catholicism. Everybody that ever wrote a book has got a method. It's in their book. And they're self-promoting when they write that book. And they're self-promoting when they promote that book. But I was very open about my self-promotion. And uh, I really took a lot of flack for it. So like in 2013, I'll never forget, I was talking to Rick you know, on Backgap. And he said, uh, so at the end of our interview, which had gone extremely well, and he said, so uh, how much do you charge for these sessions? And I said, $250. And he went, oh, right? Wow, I mean, that just blew his mind. Nobody did that. And he told me, you know, a lot of people, he, he, he got it. I was an older man, uh, you know, I've got to make mine. And, uh, and uh, but he, so he wasn't critical of it, but he did say that a lot of people will think that that is too much money. And I told him what I'll tell you, which is they all had an advantage over me in the sense that all of them knew how much a spiritual teacher should earn, and I didn't. So it turns out who would have ever guessed that uh, seven years after that blew Rick's mind, a $250 awakening session would be an extreme bargain. Because they're, they're twice that now. In this awakening, post-awakening, I got to where I really just didn't want to read anymore. I, I, I was stayed with I am that, and I, I and and I still looked at some other things, but mostly I was into. Well, I say I, I am that. That's representative of the twenty-five books of Nizagadatta's teachings that I've read. And there's, there's three or four I haven't yet gotten to, but they didn't exist at the time. I took one year. And from the beginning of that year to the end of that year, I read everything in print and I, out of print, everything I could find in print or out of print uh, on Nizagadatta Maharaja's teachers. And I think at that time it was 22 books, 22, 23, something like that. I wrote them all and it transformed me. And when it did transform me, I couldn't really take a lot of them I don't mean to, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. We need everybody to do just what they're doing because that's what, you know, because that's what they're doing anyway. 
but I couldn't read current authors because it was, I could see what they were doing, but for me, it just wasn't direct enough. Nisargadatta was direct. This teaching had become very direct, and now it is incredibly direct, and, 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 and very skillful as well, I must say, because it's not mine. There's no Fred here. Uh, actually, the living method of non-duality is, uh, the living method of spiritual awakening is not actually my teaching, it's yours. You left it for yourself as an alarm clock in the drain so that you could learn, so that you could wake up quickly for a change through anybody that was ready for it. So it's, I've done very well with it. You know? I mean, it's been, it's, you know, I've, I've got clients on six continents now. I'm just, and a little bit, a little bit of Fred in that, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't, you, you can dress this thing up, but you can't take it anywhere. Fred will pop out. And so, um, but in the last few years, while still reading some stuff, but, but mostly not from open the book to the back of the book, just picking up book, non-dual books and reading parts of them, you know, fi finding the part that is that, that I needed to find at that time. But I discovered one day in, uh, early my early teaching days a guy read the book of undoing because when the book of undoing came out katie barred the door that's what was that was my power now so to speak on a, you know this scale but it was but it did sell thousands of copies which was a lot more than i expected to sell which was you know usually non-dual books you can you can expect to sell buy one yourself and sell one to your mother <laughs> if you're lucky you'll get 20 or 100 people to read it. I don't know what, 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 what people's numbers are, but they're not very much. And this book really took off. And when it did, there was a review that a guy did of that book on Amazon. And what he said, I'll never forget it. It's still on there, I'm sure. It was a guy from Georgia who was a, a philosophy major in college. And he's now out of college, but he had been a philosophy major. And what he said was Fred Davis is the Socrates of non-duality. Now, I didn't know anything about Socrates, but I knew, but I did know he was a famous philosopher, and I loved being compared to him. <laughs> that whole idea, oh, this is for Fred. So I began to investigate him, and the way that you investigate Socrates is that you read Plato. And I began to read Plato, and I went, oh, my God. He's doing what I'm doing. Actually, I was doing what he was doing, but I, you know, a little arrogance there. Plato was a copycat. <laughs> so, and I, and, and I was so moved. I discovered that my living method was the Socratic method, really. How about that? It was a Socratic method. And that using it in the way that I do, I discovered that I could, that I could not only wake people up in a single session, but that I could do it reliably. I could, you could, you could call me and say, hey, I need to wake up. And I'd say, okay, well, I got an opening Thursday and you, we would get together. Thursday, you'd wake up and we'd go on our merry way. But I didn't have a lot to teach you after that because I wasn't enough clarity here yet myself. But that developed very quickly in 2013, 2014 as this, began to, because this teaching just came through me. I mean, it's not, it's, there's no Fred here that wrote it. Nobody wrote it. It's just, it, it's just an outline of something that oneness left for itself, so that oneness could read it and discover, guess what? I'm oneness. <laughs> but the Greeks, and I want to include uh, some Romans as well, and Lucretius, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and some others as well, but those are particularly meaningful to me, which is why I have them in leather. <laughs> so I'm out of books and I'm out of time. And I appreciate your having stuck with me this long.
and I hope you got something out of this video. I can imagine that it it may be seen to be helpful, and it may not. I don't know. I, I just do them. I just my job is to cut the videos, and then they become popular or they don't. But uh, I have actually enjoyed cutting this one, and I thank you very much for sticking with me. And uh, I hope to see you again very soon. I really would hope to see you in Satsang. Come to Satsang. Come to Satsang. Because Satsang is where you will find freedom. You will. You can avail yourself of what's there. And if you actually do avail yourself, you will find freedom. Thank you. See you later. With love. Bye-bye.